I don't know what that is. Mybach. So your bonk. <laughs> so I searched Mybach Ale because that's what it says right there. Uh-huh. Uh, and the very first thing that comes up is AmericanCraftBeer.com, all caps. What the hell is a Maybach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, very, very, and it references directly this uh, this beer. Let's see the basics. It's a box style of the th- 13th century. Okay. All right, let's get it. All right. Welcome to the Beer in a Movie podcast, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, Mm. sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm David Gurney here today with my pal. Hey, I'm Joe Hilliard. And I am Carlos Cooper. And today we are going to get into the highly anticipated sequel known as Deadpool 2. This is the second installment in a franchise of a very... R-rated uh, comic property, um, the Merc with the Mouth. Some bad stuff happens to him. He gets these crazy superpowers. Basically, he can't die, and he is super sarcastic, and uh, that is basically everything you need to know about the movie. And so, <laughs> as some shit happens, some shit happens. <laughs> it does. So you know, as we always do to start this, we are going to open a beer and give it a go. So I, um, you know somewhat last minute and I, I I had this in mind it's a Sunday that we're recording so I wasn't able to go to a liquor store because they're closed and this was what I wanted to get when I was thinking about it this morning and I was like well I really hope HEB has this it doesn't seem like something that they would have and lo and behold Destiny the Dead Guy Ale from Rub Brewing Company they are based in Portland, Oregon if I'm not mistaken you are correct good beer opening and sound. and sort of one of those um pantheon breweries in in the craft brewing world right one of those breweries i believe they started in the 90s um that was kind of part of that big uh first wave of or maybe maybe some would consider it second wave because i guess you had those early breweries like sierra nevada and um boston beer and all mm-hmm. that back in the 80s mm-hmm. but but th- that wave in the 90s i didn't know sierra 90s, nevada went that far back they do yeah no they're they're one of that original so i guess this would be more second wave craft brew expansion um but still they've been in the game for 20 plus years now um almost taken for granted at this point i mean this is a beer that i remember seeing especially with that iconic kind of label art that they have right the bottle says it's a maybach what's that it's a maybach um as we were speaking of just before we started recording this, I Googled my Bach because I'm unfamiliar. I, I know what a Bach is, a Shiner Bach. Uh, according to AmericanCraftBeer.com, it is a Bach style that dates back to the 13th century of Germanic origin. Uh, tends to be between 6 and 7 and some change percent. Some as high as 12 if you're trying to get real wild. Um, this dead guy's sitting at 6.8%. This dead guy is sitting at 68 Lighter in color, less malty, drier finish, and larger hop profile. Uh, this one fits that. It's a little lighter than the Bach that we're used to with Shiner Bach. Um, and yeah, so and the title is apropos to our film. Yeah, Dead Guy Ale. We're talking about Deadpool. He is he technically is somewhat dead on the inside, at least maybe at times. Well, we learned uh, in this movie he's dying all of the time, but for his superpowers. Yeah, his superpowers keep him alive. If um, his superpowers were turned off magically, he and I die. don't know how you do that in this universe that they've ex- they've created. For not us. important. <laughs> no, it wasn't because yeah, they didn't put important. any goddamn thought into this the, this uh, this concept at all. No. <laughs> we, we're 
we're going spoilers straight out now, right? Mm-hmm. There's a necklace that they've made, and if they yeah. put it on you, any of your superpowers, are, they put this necklace on the Hulk, he becomes Bruce Banner. Uh, a weak. power dampener, as they call it. Yes. And now you seem to be a little frustrated by this. I and just think it's a silly, easy filmmaking device. I would. It is, <laughs> and for that reason, I have zero qualms with its lack of explanation. I don't care at all. It does in this it, universe. They're there. It's certain. I okay. mean, first of all, nothing in this movie is to be taken all that seriously. Yeah. Uh, and second of all, it serves the purpose that it needs to serve. It gets us where we need to go. Uh, I'm good with it. I mean, really, if you're going to see a Deadpool movie, you're in it for the violence and the jokes. Uh, and this movie delivers on both of those fronts. Now, before we get really started diving into an analysis of this, I should um, put out a disclaimer that I find Deadpool to be one of the most annoying and unbearable comic book characters <laughs> that... <laughs> oh, comic book characters. Comic book characters. We're not talking about uh, move to cinema yet. We're not talking about the okay. move to cinema yet. So just to give a little backstory on why I feel this way, um, I spent uh, several years working in the comic book, comic store kind of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever Deadpool experienced this like pop culture uh, rebirth of becoming relevant again and becoming this kind of like mall sensation where you know you could buy a Deadpool shirt at half the stores in the mall mm-hmm. and there's like this Deadpool merchandise everywhere. I was working in a comic book store as a store clerk and I just couldn't escape it. And I tried reading the books. I didn't think that they were that great. And I just, I got so burnt out before the movies even happened that when the movie was coming out, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And the only reason that I went and saw it was because I had read so much about what a passion project it was for Ryan Reynolds and how hard he fought for the R-rated script and how hard he fought to keep the integrity of the character despite maybe the R-rating hurting some of could potentially hurt some of the box office numbers. And so just for that alone, just for the sheer like will that he exerted to make it happen the way it needed to happen, I was interested in seeing it. This movie I knew was coming. I wasn't like on the edge of my seat waiting for the day it came out so that I could rush to the theater to go see it. But, you know, I thought it was great. Hmm. Deadpool, you're talking about two? or the Deadpool original? 2. I okay. thought Deadpool 2 you was great. Deadpool. But I, you I obviously it. enjoyed one enough that you weren't put off to want to see two or well i might not have seen two in a theater had it not been for this podcast oh, okay all right all right so <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it was a work requirement well you know some of these some of these movies that we've done and i know because i know i said that about solo but it's not that i don't care to see them at all it's just that if i'm going to go to a cinema mm-hmm. and pay ten dollars mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see a movie our alamo draft house recently showed gemini they showed revenge they showed some of these indie movies uh, that I think rank a little high. And then also, you know, for those that don't have a draft house in their area, one of the great things that they do is these really fun movie parties. Mm-hmm. So for June, they're doing all these John Carpenter movies mm-hmm. and they have all of these really fun special events. And those would kind of take precedent as far as where I'm going to spend my money right. over seeing a popcorn movie like Deadpool mm-hmm. too. Um, I've been a little busier work wise and stuff. So I haven't been going to the movies as much lately. So that all of that being said, I probably would have kind of let Deadpool two slide right. and waited for VOD. Sure, uh, but I did go see it last night, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed this movie so much more than I expected, mm. and slipped into total one hundred percent unabashed fanboy, good comic nerd huh. mode, yeah. doing it and 
we, you know, we'll dive into that a little bit more in a second when we in depth talk about it. But I'm curious, uh, Joe, what did you think? I have an 18 year old and a 17 year old boy in my house. So these, these movies are connection points. These are movies I can go see with the boys. Mm-hmm. So they're, um, they're, and they are of the age that every single one of these is important, is an event. All of their friends are seeing them. I want to go see every single uh, popcorn movie that comes out. I saw Deadpool together with my son. So, of course, I want to see the sequel because we enjoyed Deadpool 1 so much. My problem with Deadpool 2 2 was that Deadpool 1 was so inventive. I think it was the first Marvel film in this new, put one out every single year to create the universe. Uh, It was Mm R-rated and not only only R-rated. Like uh, uh, there's going to be a little bit more violence and a little bit more language, but it is a hard. Yeah, R. let's take the R as far as we can. Gratuitous sex scenes, uh, but funny. I mean, you know, they, they, it all worked. Yeah. Uh, when his hands get chopped off, they come back tiny. Da, 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 da. So what do you do for the sequel? And there's always this fear of a diminishing returns in a sequel. This time we'll do his feet. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny. And next time, we'll do his ears. Yeah, I mean, so there's going to be a shrinking body part every, every yeah. installment now. And the, uh, let's, uh, we said spoilers, right? We'll, oh, yeah. We've got to kill off the love at the very beginning. But because we're going to break the fourth wall, it's difficult to take, it's difficult to stay engaged mm. in any emotion that yeah. they're trying to, yeah. to present as real if we quickly tell you that it's not real but you love the breaking of the fourth wall so much so you got to get into this weird balance point of what exactly is the experience we have so i had fun i laughed very much uh the the, will colossus come back or not and he does oh cool here's a cameo i won't give it away necessarily here's a couple good cameos yeah a couple uh, yeah a couple of good cameos including uh the the vanisher Oh, so let's just yeah. Go ahead. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't, if you haven't seen Deadpool two, and you don't want the spoiled, and I will tell you that I knew about one of these two cameos, mm-hmm. and if I had known about both of them, I it would have ruined the moment for me. So if you haven't seen it, maybe skip this part. But Terry Crews shows up, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. He is uh, a national treasure. Um, <laughs> and but the, the we have this character, the Vanisher, that uh, Deadpool recruits. Who at is an invisible man? Is an invisible man. So we see a parachute pack on nothing, nothing right. uh, just floating. And so when he eventually meets his 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 end, he runs into a power line, and you see a flicker of him appear again. And it's fucking Brad Pitt, right? right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's what an easy day of shooting for him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny when that happens. You're like, what? Yeah, they got yeah. that guy. Uh, yeah. But it. it so it definitely has some like really shining moments it like does. that. Now, now to there's a Green Lantern joke in this movie that's worth the price of admission. I'm done with the Green Lantern. That's the one part I'm done with is the Green, <laughs> is the Green Lantern jokes. And oh, it was so funny. It, it was it was funny, but we get it. And that there was that joke, and there was a Thanos joke. Yeah, directed at Josh Brolin. That I both of those I was like, oh, okay, whatever, uh-huh. come on. Um, but yeah, again, before I dive in too much because I I can talk about the things that I enjoyed about this at great length. But David, what did you think? Yeah, I don't know. I I'm. I was. We know you just want your set pieces. You just like your popcorn. <laughs> but and it, and it delivers those. But there was something. Joe said this earlier when when you were talking about your reaction. There's a level at which like this kind of distance that it wants from the stakes of everything. Like this, the the breaking of the fourth wall is constantly undercutting my ability to connect with any of what's going on. 
that I actually found that frustrating, which wasn't the case with the first film. The first film, I was feeling like, oh, this is really funny. I had not read the comics. I'm not a huge comics guy, or, or I haven't been for, for a very long time. So I didn't really know the Deadpool character. I just knew it was, oh, this is the first big R-rated Marvel film. This is, you know... Um, it, it, it does all the stunt language, violence, all that, all that. So, you know, we saw it and I waited, I didn't see it in the theater. I waited for it to be mm-hmm. on cable. I watched it and it was a fun mm-hmm. movie to watch on a given evening to just kind of blow off steam. And that was fine. Going to the theater to see this, the second one, I, it really just, I think it struck me pretty early into it. I think it was during the the initial, you know, killing off of his romantic interest. I can't even, Morena Bakarin, her character. Um, love just, her. It, I do, I do. And I like her, you know, I loved her in Homeland Firefly. when she was on there for a season. Firefly. I mean, she, she, and she, she was that, sexy in that first movie. It, she is just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, any, anytime you, you see her, she is a beautiful woman, but the, but the problem was, I was just as it was happening. I'm like, oh, you're not even going to let me care about this. Like th- this, you're you're going to willfully like. But I should, right? Because he's being motivated by this. But well, wait. But it doesn't really matter if he's motivated by this because this movie is just going to happen whether or not this That's character right. is motivated. And it just it really pushed me away from it. Now right. I laughed at some of the jokes. Right. I enjoyed some of those little cameo pieces. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff that you guys are pointing out, I wasn't oblivious to it. But I found myself, as it was going on, this is kind of a chore just to be sitting here. Like, I don't understand what level I'm supposed to be connecting on with this. The the problem, the largest problem with the film for me was the notion that the entire emotional stakes of the movie is him getting redemption for being, in his mind, the cause of the death of his love. Right. So the way he decides to do that, or the way that he's led to do that, is to take a young man under his wing and prevent him from committing a murder. Right, right. Deadpool, that Mm -hmm. we met in the first film, wouldn't give a shit about this kid. And Deadpool 2 has never created a situation where he should give a shit about this kid. Mm -hmm. So... The only thing, so so the so the script says Deadpool decides that he needs to care about this kid, and to me that wasn't a good reason. So we're going back after this kid who's been a complete asshole with no real uh, notion that he's got a redeeming, yeah, something to redeem, yeah. Uh, but I'll go along for that ride, okay? And you're, you've set the stakes; he can't kill that guy, okay? And I'll go along with it, and you know, it was yeah. all right. It was good. It was fun. It was good, and yeah. and and I laughed many many times. Yeah. So the, Go on, Carlos, defend it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, and I will. And so, you know, I, I do see your points about the kid. He was a prick. Um, <laughs> not a lot of, rede- of, of redeeming qualities. But the thing that this film did that made it so good for me or so enjoyable for me was that it really harkens back to a particular run of the X-Force comic series uh-huh. that was written by Rick Remender. And... So, like, I knew going... Or I should rephrase that. I didn't expect it to draw from that series at all because that series, the X-Force, consists of Deadpool, but then Wolverine and Psylocke and Angel, I believe, mm-hmm. and other characters that are owned by another company that right. can't do anything. They can't have them. Uh, 
even though they, some of those people did make an, a brief cameo in this movie as well, full of cameos, I guess, mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. back on it. Anyway, yeah. so I didn't expect it to draw from that because I knew the character list was going to be totally different. But the main thing about Rick Remender's X-Force that is so emotionally powerful is that story kind of centers, you know, especially the first you know, big arc, centers around X-Force going after the rebirth of Apocalypse, uh, who's like a major villain in the Marvel Universe. And basically they find out who that is going to be and tracks the infant, like the newborn baby down that is going to grow up to be this evil monstrosity of, uh, of a villain. And Wolverine kills the baby. And Deadpool looks at him and goes, man, I wouldn't even do that. Like, that was <laughs> fucked up. And so it's this really powerful, like emotional moment where mm. like Deadpool, the most fucked up character in the Marvel Universe, the most like... Moralless, yeah. you know, uh, kind of directionless as far as the moral compass goes, looks at another character who we have been led to believe as a hero, mm-hmm. and we have, you know, seen yeah. him in that capacity, and says like, "Man, the, what you did was bad." Yeah, and that's like a really powerful moment in that story, and this movie ends up kind of having that same kind of element coming into Deadpool's character, where this guy Cable, who presents himself as a hero. And as a good guy, when he shows up, he's like, this is why I'm here. Like, this has to be done. You know, save the future, yada, yada, yada. And Deadpool's like, hold on, man. Like, I've killed a lot of people already. And even I am not totally on board with what you're talking about. Um, And so just seeing that side of him represented in this movie, and of course, you know, the stakes in this one are a little bit lower because it's not a villain as huge and you know, world ending as apocalypse is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that may have taken a little bit of... If Cable uh, doesn't have a reason to come back to kill this one kid, yeah, we wouldn't even have a wouldn't even Yeah, wouldn't even yeah. have a movie. Right. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think one thing that they could have done to have made it a little better uh, or l- translate a little better is put a little more time into exactly what that kid does in the future. Cause right. mm. you really just know that he has mm. killed a number of people and he has the potential to do and, that. Yeah. And, but specifically cables, wife and daughter, mm-hmm. um, a little bit more into exactly how he ends up doing that. And all, the other stuff that he does to put a little more weight on, like this yeah. is actually a really, really bad dude. And it makes sense that cables back to do this. But it was it was cool to see uh, Deadpool kind of take a more morally righteous stance. Yeah, and I I mean I think that what you're talking about there that they don't have the opportunity. I think it's a tough thing to achieve with a film that you've created this this new sort of like offshoot franchise from the X Men universe that has this character at its core that is so much like that first film. It was the 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 element of it that was this breath of fresh air was this kind of like, it doesn't care. It's like, it's so detached. It can just do anything and anything can happen. And there's no, no repercussion for it because he can survive anything and he could, you know, and so there's this kind of silly zany funniness to it that, that was enjoyable. And here you have a story that potentially could have a lot more and, and I think does have these hints of depth to it where you have this, okay, he is trying to redeem himself in this way by saving this character, but this character that's terribly flawed and 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 could potentially turn into a total supervillain that we're going to have this. And a lot of that, how do you tell both of those stories? How do you give yeah. the audience the joyride of 
none of this means anything. We can kill anybody. We can blow anything up. And we can have him say the most sarcastic, silly things that you can imagine. Um, with we should care about this kid and this conflict with him and this other character, Cable. And, and I think it was a tough thing to try to do. Now, I, I think probably those who had the um, sort of uh, the, the experience of, of the comic stories like you did, Carlos, I think that it probably was easier to achieve that because you already yeah. kind of know the stakes I probably of that filled whole thing. in some blanks that those yeah. that haven't read it yeah. did. And also just to go back to its connection with the X-Force run, it, one of the most like just like nerd fantasy fulfilling moments in that movie is when the ash makes his suit gray because uh, mm-hmm. his suit is gray in that particular run of x-force mm-hmm. like he looks they change him to look exactly like yeah. in remender's run and i was like oh. see that's that's that drilled nice. down that's that drilled nice. down comic t- <laughs> yeah. t- uh, uh comic shit that I don't know about yeah, but I'm, exactly. glad, I'm glad you had that experience Yeah, because yeah. I would have gotten that you know I'd have read the comic I would right. have said they're making a suit gray yeah. <laughs> for me <laughs> and, yeah, and, that's and, for me and that's what happened I was like suit all right now yeah. I, I did love the the killing off of all those x-force character was, you know like it was and fun. That, that, i mean that, <laughs> that remind me the name of the african-american girl with the big afro her, her uh, character name domino right domino okay uh her name is Zazie i have Beats. a feeling that carlos hated domino loved because her. i loved it i loved the idea that your superpower is luck and we watched her just kick ass yeah by having luck right, on her side. Right. Yeah. No, no, I think that I, was, it was like so it. much fun. Yeah. That was fun. That was a fun part of the movie, but right. ultimately for me there were no stakes in the film. So it was a fun popcorn ride. Right. It really was. It was worth the it was worth the price of admission. For but sure. I would suggest you watch it on DVD. There's yeah. nothing to wait for. So unless you're unless you know about the great suits. And you better get in the theater. Right. And, and so it, we intend to maybe talk a little bit more expansively about the idea of going into different directions with the comic book film and bringing in the R rating here in the, uh, in the next half of, the, of this podcast. But before we get there, I think we should talk a little bit more about this beer that we've been drinking, uh, the, the Dead Guy Ale that uh, Carlos brought us from Rogue Brewing. Mm-hmm. W- what do you guys think, Joe? I'm going to say it's a perfect, this is the best pairing we've ever done. Mm. The, the dead guy ale and Deadpool. Good job, it's Carlos. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank Good you, job. Uh, I'm not a rogue uh, go-to guy. Uh, I, for me, rogue was something that I blew, blew through at the beginning of my craft experience because no matter where you live, rogue has the distribution. They've gotten to that level. You mentioned a few of the other players yeah. in this market. Stone, I don't think you mentioned, but right. Stone, Stone, Rogue, Sierra yeah. Nevada. Right. They're up right. at a higher level than your, you know some of the other guys maybe that you guys drink at home. Right. Um, so I'm not a go-to rogue guy. Right. However, this has been very enjoyable. Uh, I don't know anything about a Maybach. I think, and I, I don't, don't want, don't, I'm not trying to play the card that I don't know as much about beer as maybe I should to be on a podcast like this, but there's so many styles and variations oh, yeah. that oh, it's yeah. difficult to keep up with all of them. For sure. I don't care about the term Maybach. I'm sure there's a 13th century German who's upset with me saying that, but <laughs> I would suggest that when it comes to just a roundabout ale this is as enjoyable as anything else on a uh, mid temperature day though i'm going to i'm going to take issue with Come how on, you described it. it it's not an ale joe it's a lager as a bock we're we're drinking a how do you lager call it dead beer. guy ale 
Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, at least if they're <laughs> brewing false advertising on top of the fact that I'm not a rogue guy no. to begin with. Uh, and, and again, but the idea of a Bach is that it's a, it's a lager. It's usually sort of a heavier lager. Um, but how you know, dare you school me? Like yeah, this well, that's it. Um, but but yeah, this is it's funny for me coming back to this, and I say coming back because this was a beer that was, you know, back in yeah. I, a decade ago I when I first started drinking craft beer. This again, that label, I can remember seeing it on the shelf. I remember drinking the tap that. handles. Yes, the tap handles. I remember going into a bar and w- a lot of Couldn't bars. It. And this was even in Chicago, which has since become a huge craft beer mm-hmm. market. But at the time, we really only had Goose Island. And I don't know, that might have been it that was really getting distribution throughout the city. And, you know, you would see this on tap in a bar and you and it would be as, oh, OK, they have craft beer here. They have something different here. And so I remember drinking many a dead guy ale and having a great um, experience with it. it. Again, it's not that super hoppy kind of IPA mm-hmm. that that you had coming from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, it was something that was a little different, more malty. Uh, a little sweeter, easy to drink, c- kind of on the heavy side. I mean, I'll, 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 as I'm drinking this, it's kind of you know accumulating to that point where I'm glad we're inside in the air conditioning here in yeah. South Texas. If I was sitting out on the patio and, yeah. and drinking want this, more of our beer de miel. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want something a little lighter. But but in terms of something, especially in like say the winter time or something mm-hmm. that I would have a few bottles of as we're going through, that'd be great. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that because uh, here's a particularly interesting bit from the article on AmericanCraftBeer.com that I mentioned earlier, but it says that Bach beers have traditionally been brewed for special occasions, a.k.a. this time let's get really messed up. Uh, they've also been brewed to coincide with the fasting of Bavarian monks, which of may course. explain why many Bachs, especially this type of Bach, are released during the Christian season of Lent. So contrary to your preference of when you would, I guess for many people, our winter is more like a spring. Yeah. It was, and, I mean, and it also says, here's AmericanCraftBeer.com. It says our take. Um Stands alone in a class that offers a wide variety of American spins on a classic Germanic style. Whoever wrote this said, I personally love this style because it symbolizes a return to the outdoors and the music festivals that often cropped up in Minneapolis after the long, harsh winters. Yeah. Um, I can definitely... I so, mean, if, if we were in that like early spring of a more temperate zone where you're coming out and it's like a day that's in the 50s or 60s, but we're going to be outside because we're so excited. It's finally not below freezing. Yeah. So, like, this would be great. Yeah. yeah, no, this is... It's just, I'm thinking... It's 100 degrees South outside. Texas, <laughs> spring comes along and we're kissing the 90s and like, oh, okay, this is going to be a little bit much for yeah. me to have. But, but it's great. And I do love the idea of pairing the dead guy with Deadpool. I think we've said it all. So, All right. So let's take a little quick break here. We'll come back with another beer, and then we're going to talk about where the comic book films are going when they go for these more adult audiences. When we return. Okay, so we are back here at Beer and a Movie Podcast. We talked about Deadpool 2 and how we all felt about it. Uh, in a strange twist on our usual format, I tend to, I 
I liked it more than everyone else did, which is not exactly the norm for most of the movies. You're that we usually talk about. our naysayer. Yeah, I'm usually the contrarian. Um, I guess I kind of was in this case as well, but in a more positive way. Um, but now we're kind of just going to talk about um, just Deadpool as a franchise and the precedent that it set for the landscape of comic book films. Uh, Deadpool one was February 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, R-rated did pretty well. Uh, shortly after, we got Logan, another R-rated comic book movie, and then, of course, Deadpool 2. Um, so we are going to see what we think that means for the comic book uh, movie format in the future and where we may or may not end up with this uh, particular style of massive film that they've been releasing. But before we do that, we're going to get always, into... We have to have a new beer. Another I'm beer, th- right? Thirsty. So, the, you know, kind of th- this one is a is a tougher uh, connection point than than what uh, Carlos was bringing us with that dead guy ale earlier. Although I do think it's connected. I mean, we're, we're thinking about the way that these big franchises are kind of shifting. These big cinematic properties um, are evolving over time, and so now we're seeing these more adult oriented versions. Um, similarly, we're seeing different trends in the beer world, and we're seeing craft beer kind of trying to navigate those waters. And so you're seeing these breweries that are well-established and have a big place in, at least within craft beer, um, the the consumption of, uh, of beer, however, are trying to find ways into the... Um, into the audience that uh, that that, necess- that doesn't necessarily jive with what they've done in the past, and what I'm speaking here of directly is New Belgium, which are probably a brewery best known for their Fat Tire. It's an amber ale, um, and one of those massive, in terms of craft beer breweries that you can get pretty much anywhere in the country these days. That actually expanded pretty considerably. Opened up a second brewery uh, location not that long ago, but from what I've heard, have been uh, have been flailing a little bit, trying to trying to get they, their. They've been doing a lot more advertising lately. Yeah. Uh, I think that the podcast that I hear them on is "How Did This Get Made," <laughs> and Paul Shear talks about. He's like, oh, I love Fat Tire. You know, yeah, New yeah. Belgium Brewing Company. I was like, well, I've never heard of brewery advertise on a podcast before that I can remember and you know it it got me I was at a uh, local watering hole on Friday night Mm -hmm. and ordered a fat tire and did not enjoy it no well (laughs) I really didn't now now fat tire is a very middle of the road kind of Easy drinking craft beer, although it's a little bit heavier than it had a than funky Zinsum. taste to it. Did it? Okay, maybe that might it, that maybe might it be was the, just that particular. I was going to say they may not be cleaning their lines. I'm yeah. not going to ask what bar it was because we'll keep them anonymous. But but here is them jumping on something totally different. Um, so they, you know, as the name might suggest, New Belgium, they have been associated with some Belgian style things in the past. They've also done these kind of you know fat tire, which has been very popular nationwide. But now they've put out this new series, Voodoo Ranger is what it's called, and they do some of these, they've done a series of IPAs, some with fruit additions and whatnot. This is kind of the latest in that. It's called Juicy Haze IPA. And You're jumping on the hazy bandwagon. That's right. Oh, not oh, as much of a yeah. fizz. Okay, all right. Well, so I just cracked it open. <laughs> a nice um, pop, though. <laughs> hey, this is supposed to be their take on that... Northeastern New England style hazy IPA. My favorite IPA. Yeah, as as Carlos has found out over the last 
few episodes here where we've had some of these and I'm pouring it and it definitely looks hazy. Mm -hmm. And just give it a, and I'm, and I'm definitely smelling the juice. Oh my gosh. That's, that is some citrus, right? I'm going to add in, um, Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. here. It was all a dream. <laughs> I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo. So, so anyway, we, we, we have this um, kind of a lighter, I don't know, yellow, uh, but not just straight up yellow. What is it like? Orange yellow. It's like kinda. a mango kind yeah. of uh, color. Oh, I love the I love the smell though. That's that's something else. So so we're gonna sip on this while we're talking about these more adult oriented films. This is the adult beverage we're gonna have. But um, but Carlos kind of let us off here talking about Deadpool being this. You know, it's almost like the proof to the studios that okay, we can put out these R rated superhero films and still make a S load of money. I've, I'm going to censor myself there a little mm-hmm. bit. Something that you're much better at than I am. Yeah, right found now. Out. <laughs> but <laughs> we are going to be able to still haul in the big bucks, even if we don't have families coming. Now we're seeing some other takes on that. Yeah, I think that uh, everybody, you know, myself included, and I expected the first Deadpool to do fairly well because there was in the community like of, you know, comic book nerds and stuff, really a, a deep desire for that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the main uh, Marvel audience, uh, appealing to everything, we are going to show you something different. Yeah. That's what was fun about it for me. There was that. There was a, a long time that it, people had been waiting for it. And then you also... It, had some, you know, obviously Ryan Reynolds, a very well-known figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was some star power behind it. And they showed, you know, so I expected it to do well. I didn't expect it to do as well as it did because it really did outperform everybody's, like, expectations, wildest expectations. And I think that we have gotten, in my opinion, one of the best superhero movies of the last five or ten years out of, the success of that, which is Logan, we got an R-rated Wolverine movie, which for whatever reason, it took like what, seven, eight, however, they've done a shit ton of movies with Wolverine in them. Mm -hmm. None of them are rated easily. The, like what the thing that baffles me about that is what are, what do we as an audience expect a guy with unbreakable, incredibly sharp metal claws to do to the people that he's fighting? He's not (laughs) killing them. Um, I mean, slice them up. That's crazy. Just some scrapes and cuts. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, that's it. So when we got Logan, I mean, it was from the very, very first scene. It is so incredibly violent. Yeah. And something that is just so much like true to that character. And I think that another thing that is a positive consequence of this R-rated kind of movie that we saw in Logan and that we did also see a little bit more of in Deadpool 2 as well as the first one is more so in 2 than the first Deadpool, but a more tightly focused superhero movie. And what I mean by that is the entire world isn't at stake. In Logan, the entire world was not at stake. Right. There was a few characters, and I know I've talked about this before, but I think that it's really something that makes these movies better. Mm-hmm. You have these incredible circumstances surrounding a more simple narrative, and 
in Deadpool 2, we got that a little bit, too, because it wasn't about... I mean, it was, to a certain extent, about saving the world in a future sense, so it wasn't yeah. quite as, like, tangible right. as, like, a right-here-and-now type of scenario. But, you know, it's really focused on this kid, and, tr you know, if you really want to read super deep into it, a, like, nature versus nurture kind of argument, like, can somebody who has been raised in this incredibly violent and tumultuous kind of environment be shown that that's not what the whole world is like. And so really it's about trying to redeem somebody who is, has been uh, the victim of unfortunate circumstances. And if you're trying to do a huge, crazy movie like Avengers, I mean, the budgets on those things are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. like you ha it has to be PG-13. But yeah. when you have something that you're not expecting to perform in the billions you can bring the budget down a little bit, you can tighten the focus of the narrative, and you can get a much more compelling and human story out of it than you can just like, the whole world's gonna end with the snap of this guy's fingers, what are we gonna do? Right. Uh, and I, I think it makes it more compelling, and I hope that we see more stuff like this, and I mean, um, not to ramble on too much, but we have a Spawn movie coming out, um, the original, eh, mm. you know, but <laughs> very of its time, and yeah. you know, uh, we did get some Blade movies mm -hmm, um, right. that were in the R-rated, I think, even before Deadpool, but in a less mainstream way. We got Kick-Ass, and I thought some of those movies were pretty good. I yeah. thought Kick-Ass um, one was great. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, of course, some really fringe kind of superhero stuff with the Rain Wilson super movie that was just, like, uber-violent and uh, not even attempting to break into the mainstream on that one is a smaller indie movie, but, right. um, I, I, you know, I hope they do kind of go in this direction a little more. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think what you say about scaling down the superhero film, I think it's interesting because I, I was really impressed by Logan and, and honestly, I don't think I had seen the middle Wolverine because they did that standalone Wolverine trilogy essentially, right? Yeah. That was like Wolverine, the Wolverine and then Logan, right? Is that anyway? Yes, I believe so. I, there was definitely the Silver Samurai one that took place in Japan. I okay. thought that one was pretty good. Uh -huh. um, yeah, as well. So, but but seeing Logan what, what, as I did whatever you know a year or two ago um, was was really kind of a different experience. I mean, it just was not the superhero film in the way that I I knew it. Even with the Dark Knight trilogy, right? I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy I think did some of that. Um, still retained the PG-13. But, but was amazing. But got, and got into these like darker character things and, and, and it wasn't just nonstop action and they were really trying to sort of develop this, you know, th this character and, and his relationships with some of the other characters. Logan really seemed to even bring that into this more. I mean, it was almost like, uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't throw this around, but like it's almost like neorealism meets the superhero film because it's just so kind of kitchen sink. I mean, it's like these, you know, hiding out in this rural farmhouse kind of place and there, there's nothing splashy about it. There's nothing um, really, you know, the, the special effects aren't that. I mean, they, they they're, are... They're much more realistic. Yeah. And not as CGI focused. And right. nobody's flying. It's not about a city being destroyed. Yeah. It's not about... It's just very sort of human scale drama where you're seeing this set of characters kind of work through this this issue, and that so that was really interesting. I mean, you, you put that next to Deadpool or Deadpool Two for that matter, and I'm like, okay, this is the adult direction 
for superhero films for me. Like, I want to see more of these films where we're dealing with characters who are outsiders, who are positioned on the margins of society because they have these abilities, then having to deal with the repercussions of having these abilities in this way. Like, to me, that was a, a really wonderful way of doing that. Uh, whereas, like I said, Deadpool, you know, earlier in this episode where I'm just, you know, like I just, I couldn't find a point of connection. For me, Logan was very easy to connect with. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's a Mr. Show skit where they take Goodfellas and edit it for Saturday afternoon. <laughs> it's called, it's called Pally's. So, you know, so and this guy flips somebody off, but they, they put a middle finger, I'm sorry, they, uh, they put thumb. a thumbs up yeah. over the middle finger. <laughs> I want you to tell the story with the characters and I want them to speak the way that they're going to speak. Right. And I want the things that are going to happen in the universe that you want to create to be real. Mm-hmm. And explosions caused by superheroes hurt people and they kill people and they yeah. maim people. And if a superhero is getting punched in the face, chances are he's going to say the F word. Yeah. Once or twice or something. Hey, that guy got away. Ah, shoot. Probably not. Yeah. So I don't mind it being opened up. We're making movies about adults having adult problems, Mm -hmm. saving the world. Yeah. Targeted toward 13-year-olds. And so, therefore, we have to dumb down what it would be like in real life. When you see The Sopranos, you don't question it. It's a Italian mobster who's office is in a strip club you don't take a pg-13 movie into a strip club and it make any sense at all suicide squad tried you can't show the things that make a strip club a strip club and if that's the setting why are we pg-13ing it however it gets back to what we were talking about earlier and that is that these are now designed to make as much money as possible Mm -hmm. and they what did we say that solo grossed worldwide 400 on track to 500 kind of thing it's currently at three something and is projected and that's a failure yeah. But you've got, if it was rated R, an R-rated Han Solo, it would have made half of that because the audience is. is. Mm-hmm. So or maybe I, it would have been better and they would have made well, more. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, given that you're drawing from those who probably have the deepest nostalgia for it, that would have been an interesting move yeah. for the Star Wars franchise if they had gone with that kind of darker... I, I don't know if that would have been the right move, but it would have been an interesting one. It would have been one. interesting. Yeah. People would have gone to see it. Disney doesn't have the balls. See, what's fascinating <laughs> to me is we're talking about Logan, we're talking about Deadpool, we're not talking about Watchmen. Oh, okay, yeah. one of the, easily one of the best adaptations uh, as far as faithfulness to the source material. But that movie wasn't marketed to no. everybody. It, I loved. I liked Watchmen very, very it's much. Good. It's I liked that graphic good, yeah. novel very, very much. Yeah. But V for Vendetta. You, I'm sorry. Uh, v for Vendetta, Vendetta is another one. Right, but when you take it and you don't give it to the 13 to 15 year old and their parents' audience, it's more robust. It's more real. Even yeah. if we're in a universe that is unreal. Yeah. I, I look forward to moving this because we can't do what we're doing now. We can't put out another Marvel movie with Captain America and Hulk and, uh, da, da, and Thor every year. Yeah. It, we're going to do it for as long as it makes money, but they're going to have to change the formula. And they've got these valuable assets in these characters. They're going to have to begin giving us something new. And I wonder if R-rated might be the evolution uh, in a few years. And i not sure because it's not going to increase the gross. It's not, but it can scale down the budget a great deal. I think an R-rated Batman movie would be a great move. But they uh, can't scrimp on special effects, and well, they, they can't. That, that, but, but if you're scaling down the story, then you're also scaling down the required special effects for it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I've been saying for years that like a, like, 
film noir detective R-rated Batman movie would be the greatest thing. Give it to the right person. Best thing anybody's ever seen as far as a comic property goes. Uh, but if it's not going to make a billion dollars worldwide, but if it only do costs a hundred to make it, but if it only costs right fifty they, to a hundred million to make, you don't need a billion dollars. Yeah, but there's so much ego in this business. I mean, for sure. Hey guys, we're not trying to make a billion this time. No one's going to say that out loud. Yeah, right. So anything less than uh, Nolan numbers is going to be a failure. It, it's yeah. a and weird never, position that Hollywood puts itself in. The store putting out the best story and the best movie is less important than how much money the movie money makes, makes and that's yeah. going to capitalism I, at its finest am well, i right gents yeah but it's going to <laughs> it's going to collapse upon itself you cannot outdo yourself because ultimately you're not giving us any new anything yeah right so we, we, we will reach a point to where we say we're no longer interested yeah something else is going to happen and thank god it's going to be james cameron and the seven avatars that he's oh got god, coming I, toward us i i I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't it blame you. It, it Sorry. Makes me so mad. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, My wait. jokes make Carlos in fear. <laughs> it hey, just hey. makes me so uncomfortable. Just even thinking, just even hearing James Cameron's name mm-hmm. is something that I don't want any part of. Let me ask you uh, a question: Is 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 a movie like Django Unchained, although it's not based on comic material, a comic book movie? Well, they made a comic book adaptation of it and expanded the story in a comic book. Understood, um, but the, but the source material is Quentin Tarantino's original screenplay, yeah. so it. Like the exploding head when people get killed and the it's so comic booky. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that mm, I understand where you're going with it, but it's hard to look at a Tarantino movie for that because Tarantino is so specifically his own thing, um, while also not being his own thing at the same time because most of his movies are a mashup of right. things it's, he it's loves. It's very much a pastiche, but but yeah. comic books are but he, in there. But, I but mean, he that's... does it in such an over-the-top way that, yes, it does become kind of comic booky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons that he's been successful, um, and I think that you know since we're talking about how eventually we're going to get tired of these PG-13 kind of dumbed-down Avengers movies, I think the property that is the most poised to be successful in the post that world is Deadpool because you have a character that's so over the top whose humor is so over the top and you put it put that character in a situation where everyone has superpowers and the world is so over the top that he exists in that I think those two things complement each other really well and is going to be you know, Deadpool will lead the R-rated charge if that's what ends up happening. Yeah, but how know? many more Deadpools are there? I mean, how many more? How well, many times can you go to it, that well with that same list of jokes that they start with so on the whiteboard? The, the way that they're going to do it is the in development movies. There's an X Force movie in development, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. not technically a dead. You know, put a different title on the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, still able to make money. There is a third pool, a, a third pool, a third Deadpool movie in development. Uh, and I also, since we're on the subject of take, going in a different direction, I don't know if we, somehow we haven't talked about this at all. But there's that new New Mutants movie coming out. Um, I don't know if you've seen the trailers for this, but it is a horror take on the mutant world of the X-Men. And that one is coming out in 2019. And see, just hearing your tag, your your one-sentence pitch for that film, if that's not rated R, I'd be less interested. I think that it might PG-13 horror movies are the worst things ever created. Mm, 
yeah, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was I was really trying to dig for one. Horror must that, be horrific. And yeah. If you're gonna, like, I don't think that this movie is rated yet, but it is scheduled for August 2nd, 2019. Huh. They've released a teaser trailer for it. Um, it looks pretty good. I mean, it's it's going to... Is it going to follow the R rating... R-rated it look, path of Deadpool. Based based on the trailer, it looks like it's going to be R-rated because it looks pretty intense. The the trailer does. Um, and just a quick premise of it: it's five young mutants just discovering their abilities while held in a secret facility against their will will fight to escape their past sins and save themselves. Yeah. So they're being held in this kind of psychiatric hospital, from what the trailer shows. And if they go, the I mean, it yeah, it looks intense. It looks like a fresh take on a superhero type of world and. I mean, so I think that that shows that we're all... And I'm, if they did an X-Force movie and didn't make it rated R, that would be one of the dumbest things that they've yeah. ever... I mean, I can't yeah. imagine that movie Well, now that they've introduced R. it that in that in that kind of context... The, you, I, I have a question. Sure. The PG-13 rating, I was, I was alive and around when it was invented. Right. It was, I think, I believe... I always get this fact wrong, but I believe the first or the second uh, PG-13 film was uh, uh, Temple Jones. of Doom. Oh, yes, right. Uh, that the original Raiders of the Lost Ark was PG, and uh, the the bloody face uh, the, when the Ark is opened up, and, and it, melting, that was yeah. very intense and it scared young kids. So maybe we're Freak showing too much violence. Uh, I remember seeing a PG movie Sixteen Candles in the theater and seeing bare breasts. Yeah, mm. uh, and and thinking to myself, it's great to be uh, parentally parentally guided at this point <laughs> in life because I was uh-huh. twelve, thirteen when that came out. So the PG-13 for me is an unnecessary invention in cinema and has created uh, this weird kind of um, uh, purgatory between being able to explore all content and then being able to appeal to children, but then the adults get the, the bad end of that deal. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I can handle an F word. I can handle a breast. You know, right. And believe me, I can handle a breast. But um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, apologies. Uh, so I <laughs> edit that out. I edit that out if need be. Uh, but um, that one I'm keeping. <laughs> yeah. I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh my! David's God. red face. I was gonna Sorry. say I, went, I wish this was. A, oh. I wish this was a video so you could see David. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's purple. Okay, hold on. Let me uh, oh. let me try to take it okay, back. Okay, okay. Where were we? What was he? What were we talking the PG-13. about? PG-13. PG-13. PG-13 is an unnecessary invention, but now it is upon us. It's the place that we have to hit to hit the sweet spot to where everyone's invited to the party, which maximizes our gross. And until we can say we're happy with a Logan lower gross but higher critical reception, and so much also for Deadpool 1, Deadpool 1, because I believe that it was critically uh, received very well. It was. For being an alternative to what we're, what we're becoming right, used to. right. Right, right. I don't think that while the Marvel Universe films uh, succeed at the level that they are, that we're going to see large changes and we're going to have a one-off from time to time. And I well, I welcome those because it gives the filmmaker a lot more freedom to explore everything. Yeah. So, so one thing I will say about this, as far as like the money goes, even though nobody's going to say we're not trying to make a billion dollars, I think the potential for serious profit it will motivate some of these R-rated movies because just to give you a glimpse into that, $58 million budget for Deadpool, a production budget, $783 million at the box office. For Deadpool 2, we are in similar territory. It was $110 million, so a little bit more, but so far it's been out for how long? Uh, a month, $655 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... Th- that's 
that's not insignificant as right. far as you know compared to the whatever 500 million dollars of infinity war or whatever so i think that seeing that and you know we're looking at logan is estimated between 97 to 127 million dollar production budget 619 million at the box office Mm -hmm. you know even though nobody in hollywood wants to be the one that doesn't care about money or whatever i think maybe reporting a higher profit will be braggadocious enough to reaching just an arbitrary number yeah yeah, I think I think we'll certainly see more, and we're kind of seeing. I mean, I think what we'll, what you've pointed to, Carlos, is that we're going to see some more of these with the mute, the new mutants, and uh, and some of the others that are coming on down. And and it's interesting, and I think, like Joe said, it is good that occasionally we get these different takes on it. Now, in terms of different takes, with this juicy hazy IPA that we've been drinking, mm. what do you guys think? I mean, you guys know that I like it. It's my preferred well, they, so style they, of IPA. So they've done it. They've, they've, done, they've it. done it. They have. They have done it very well. I think well. What, um, what's notable here, I'll just point out to, to you, Carlos, I don't know. Um, this is considerably less costly than your typical hazy IPA would be. So, you know, I, this this comes in a six-pack, and I believe it was eight ninety nine at our okay, local shop. Okay, that's not bad. And we're talking right. about a... Seven point five percent ABV. That's right. not so a considerable not light at all. Punch for this uh, price point. Um, whereas a lot of the hazy IPAs in the past have been, you know, you more get like four packs. Um, they may be sixteen ounces, but still in four packs for north of you know fifteen dollars even. Even the Sierra Nevada hazy little. No, things, that's so that hazy that's little a sick. Yeah, I was going to say, hazy little thing, juicy haze IPA, and I know Boston Beer Company have one. Um, well, isn't the hazy little thing even in the 10 It might be. It might be a little bit more. A little right. over $10. Yeah. But, but the idea that they're making these on a bigger scale, more accessible uh, to a national audience, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm really enjoying this. It's, it's good. It hits Joe, all the points. Is it weird that I hold Stone, Rogue, New Belgium... Uh, I hold their success against them. <laughs> that it creates a prejudice inside of me. That they are they not aren't small craft and enough. craft enough for right. me. Because I have that prejudice. I'm going to admit it right now. We don't like to admit our prejudices out in public, but I'm going to do it. When a beer, when a, when a, when a, thank you, when <laughs> a brewery gets to a certain size, yeah. I lose respect. Now, right. now, believe me, if anybody at this and table, that's wrong. If no, if, if there's anybody at this table that knows about that, it's me coming from growing up and still even somewhat being a part of the punk rock community. God forbid somebody signs a to a big label. Uh, I mean, <laughs> a really good like classic textbook example is Jawbreaker signing to Geffen. Everybody was like, "Oh, to hell with that band!" They put out their best album on Geffen. Mm-hmm. Um, and were rejected by the fans? Uh, yeah. I mean, people went to their shows specifically to heckle them. Mm. Uh, it was not a good time. It, mm. it, I mean, part of that comes from Jawbreaker being a band that for so long spoke out against major right. label signings right. and said they were never going to do it. At the time that they did it, they were having tr- trouble as a band, were about to break up and thought, oh, maybe if we sign this major deal and get some money, it'll help us and we'll be able to make it work and keep the band together. That didn't happen. Um, another good example is Against Me, a very popular uh, Gainesville, Florida-based punk band. Uh, put out an album called White Crosses, their first major label effort. Pretty pretty so, awful. Um, not good. Uh, had one really great song on it. The rest of it is very forgettable. 
big backlash. Yeah. So I totally there, understand where you're you, coming you get, from. Is it correct the to do in beer, the though? I mean, because well, we've had uh, two hazy IPAs in the recent past, this one right now. Yeah. And then uh, in our last episode, when we discussed Solo, we had one from a local brewery, a hazy IPA. No, no, that no. A, that was a, a brewery that normally hazy. does ha- hazy, yeah. but we got, had their other. Well, but you yes, and I no, have had their hazy. Yes, IPA. yes. yes. Yeah. We like a hazy IPA. Right. Yeah. That one is, and there's reasons why, fresher, yeah. bolder, yeah. brighter, and this to me feels like a mass distributed product that huh. is to resemble okay. a hazy IPA. Interesting. Which it is. Yeah, and New Belgium has a wang to it that has got to be some kind of through line of their brewing process that I haven't been able to put my finger on. Some mm-hmm. ingredient that they like to use in their beers that hmm. rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I will tell you though that Fat Tire, like most other people, like most people out there, is a stepping stone on my craft brewing yeah. uh, journey, yeah. craft beer journey. So I, I admire them for that. I've been to their brewery in um, Colorado. So Fort Collins, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I'm a fan of them and I like what they've done in the industry, but this beer, I would drink it if you poured it for me at your home without complaining, but I'm not going to seek out this yeah. this this beer. Yeah, no, I think I think in terms of something that's going to be widely available and that somebody can get their hands on in almost any market in the country, this this is something that uh, I think is nice. It's nice to have on the shelf, but um, but I too I think I would rank a lot of those smaller batch uh, breweries like Arsai here in uh, in Corpus Christi or or others, mm-hmm. especially in New England. Um, I would put them above that. But. Hey, David, you were telling me that you are upset because you haven't been able to talk to as many people as you want to on our Facebook page. That's right. So I would love it if more and more folks were to find us, Beer in a Movie Podcast on Facebook, find us on Instagram. Um, we're, we really want your feedback. We want to hear what it is that you think that we are not talking about that we should be, um, wh- how you're reacting to what it is that we're talking about. And, uh, and, and in general, just kind of you know, give us your impressions of what we're doing here. Yeah, I will uh, say that I feel similarly, but about Twitter, I check the Twitter with some regularity. Not not hearing a lot, and mm-hmm. I want to know. Maybe we need to we need to send out more provocative tweets. We, I, I I do need to step up my uh, my Twitter game as far as beer and a movie goes. My personal Twitter, you can follow me at Jello X Shot. A little plug wow. uh, is high quality content. <laughs> wow, that's right, high that's quality. Right. That was we, unplanned. Uh, we we have DJ Jello Shot in the house. Yeah, here, so that yeah. was unplanned. That was you know a spontaneous plug every now and then is going to happen. You got to do know, it. I, Let's yeah. go around the horn and talk about all of our plugs. <laughs> I mean, we can plug. Some I mean, other time. <laughs> but but thank you all for listening to Beer in a Movie podcast. Um, we, we hope we've cracked that nut of the uh, superhero film and, and where it's going. Um, we're definitely going to get away from superhero films on future episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Find it's, some other. I mean, it's uh, the summertime. Yeah, They're it all is. Coming it's, out at it's hard once. to avoid it. But, yeah. uh, but at the same July time, we'll, we'll find some other stuff. So please hit us up on social media. Let us know what it is you want us to do. Beer in a Movie podcast.com. Um, Future episodes, we're going to try to get some uh, some other different films, different beers, 
Um, yes. Maybe do some themed episodes. Can you think of a theme that you would want us to touch on? We've talked about maybe doing one on soundtrack albums. Yes. Um, we, we, we've Expect that, because I... I have thoughts about soundtracks. Absolutely. And and we're desperately trying to figure out a way to work high fidelity into a podcast with our record store owner uh, partner here, Carlos. So if you can think of a way for us to wedge that in, let us know. Hey, hey we can do a compare and contrast high fidelity Empire Records uh, episode because I did recently DJ a public screening That's right. of Empire Records. And I realized that I hadn't seen that movie in a very long time. And definitely need to revisit it in a less work-related setting <laughs> so that I can really digest it. Because there's, there's stuff happening there that, yeah. you know, well, some, you some bold acting choices. Well, thanks a lot. We'll see you on future episodes. Yeah.